Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Bell Ringers, Investing.com's weekly financial podcast. With me here today, as always, my fellow analyst, Jesse Cohen. How's it going, everybody? I'm Clément Thibault, analyst at Investing.com, and today we'll have a show for you that covers all weekly financial matters. We'll look at what happened last week. We'll look at hap- what will happen next week. And here's our topics for you this week. We're going to talk about the S&P finally reaching 3,000. The future's already got there. We're going to talk about the ECB nominating Christine Lagarde uh, for the position that will be vacated by uh, Draghi. And we'll be talking about gold, which has had a very interesting uh, few weeks. And for next week, we'll be talking about the Fed. Powell has a testimony a couple of days, also speaks prior to that on Tuesday. We're going to be talking about data, so US CPI and some China trade data. We're going to talk about PepsiCo earnings that, you know, start off uh, the earnings season kind of. It'll ramp up in the coming weeks. And uh, for the stock of the week, we'll cover Visa for Jesse and Ford for myself. So uh, you want to get us started on the S&P 3000? So, yeah, it's, it was an incredible week uh, in the markets. It was a holiday-shortened week. We had uh, July 4th. Uh, like you said, futures on the S&P finally hit the 3,000 mark, went as high as 3,006. Uh, does, does it count, though? No, does it count, though? Not yet, because 29.95 was as high as it went during normal market hours. Uh, but, that, you know, 3,000, well on the agenda, um, within, within distance. Uh, what I want to talk about, though, Friday was the schizophrenic market reaction. Amazing jobs report. You know, 224,000 jobs were created, easily surpassing uh, estimates for, for uh, 160,000. The unemployment rate might have ticked up a bit, but still under uh, stayed under 4%. And markets actually saw that as bad news. Markets are a little crazy right now. And, you know, kind of a weird, like you said, schizophrenic Oh, good state. news is bad news, bad news is good news. Uh, yeah, the market doesn't know exactly what it wants anymore. It wants a rate cut, but it wants a strong economy. So <laughs> it really wants the cake and yeah. eat it too. It you know, that's it, what it wants right it now. It can't have it both ways uh, uh, just yet. And, and, and really, you know, instead of celebrating, you know, what, what still seems as if a solid uh, jobs market, a solid, solid economy, economy, you know, it, it, what we did was sell off at the open. The Dow was down as much as 1%. Because of fears that the Fed might not be as aggressive with the rate cuts. And then we came back. We, we came back because luckily, luckily, uh, human traders might have taken over for the algos. That, that You know, you just read the headline and obviously... It made absolutely no sense. It was, it was an easy buy the dip there as soon as the market opened and stocks went, went down that much. You know, at the end of the day, it was, it was a great report. We had maybe the revisions were a cause for concern, but, you know, looking ahead... Uh, 224,000 jobs, a, 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 a sharp improvement from 72,000 jobs in May. I I don't understand yeah, uh, well, the, no, the, the, the whole... And, and S&P 3000 at the end, you know, it's the culmination of 10 years without a recession, really. So we've had a few quarters of negative GDP growth, but it never really turned into something bigger than that. So obviously, you know, the economy is doing well. And this is why it was so weird, because the good, the good job reports is exactly supposed to sh- threaten the case that we're good. Exactly, exactly. At the end of the day, this really underlines the, the, the whole theme and, and speculation that, that markets are addicted. You know, they're acting like, like crackhead junkies out there. They might not get the rate cut that they want, so let's sell off. Meanwhile, digging deeper into things, the economy is on solid footing. You know, everything, maybe not everything is great. We had some losses there in the manufacturing sector in yeah, terms yeah. of uh, jobs. But for the most part. But, but even stocks, you know, you look at the, at the four-quarter earnings estimate, and it's up. You know, it's up. They're still projecting about 2 to 3% growth. So overall, 
you know, even the stock market's doing pretty well. Yeah. So, yeah, the market schizophrenic when it comes to the Fed and rate cuts. Uh, we've seen a great display of that. And let's move on to uh, the ECB. So, apparently, Christine Lagarde, right, the, the, the head of the IMF, yeah. is going to become the, the new, uh, maybe the second most powerful central banker in the world. Really unconventional pick. I mean, I, I, I must admit, I, I, I don't follow, I didn't follow the ECB uh, uh, secession race as much as I would follow uh, the, the, the Fed race, for example. But I, I, I didn't even see uh, Lagarde as a uh, viable uh, contender. She wasn't even in the running as far as I, as far as I was concerned. All of a sudden, Tuesday morning, headlines start popping up, Lagarde being nominated. Markets like that because they view her as a kind of a, a continuation of Draghi's dovish Well, you know, she, she supported Draghi, and that's what, maybe the major point that has appeared and, in all newspapers. When Draghi said he would do whatever it takes, she endorsed those comments of whatever it takes. So as and, far as the markets are concerned, you know, it's good. It's continuation. If that means QE, then that means QE. You know, and, and, you, and you say QE to the European market, you bet they're going to be up and like this. And, and, and we saw really European stock markets, uh, the, the DAX uh, shot up as a result. But maybe unintended consequences to the whole of the guard hiring and the ECB's uh, easy, money, easy money policies to a greater extent is the sharp movements in the European bond market. We saw the German 10-year bond hit a record low of minus 0.4%. So pretty much German 10-year bonds now match the ECB's long-term deposit rate. You know, th 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 this is unprecedented. And, unprecedented. La and, and Lagarde, to be honest, you know, she, she doesn't have central bank experience. She yeah. has IMF experience, but not central bank experience. She, she's known to, to speak her mind, right? And that's something she, that... I, I, I recall till this day, we were at the height of the Greek uh, uh, debt crisis in I, 2012, 2013. She, she, she I, was the French finance minister. And she, I, I remember she was like, oh, the Greeks aren't paying their taxes. Exactly. They need to come exactly. out and pay their taxes. So, so that's what... Like, whoa. That's what I'm looking at going forward because she's known to be like kind of an independent thinker in a way, but also to speak her mind a lot. So the fact that she often holds like contrarian views is one thing. But when you're the head of the ECB, you're very expected to telegraph your moves and yeah. to tell, you know, the market what you're doing. And if she's too blunt about it, like I suspect the ECB and Christine Lagarde could create serious volatility in European markets. So that's something to watch for and to possibly take advantage of. That's a, that's a good point you bring up. I, I just want to go back and, and really, while I said that she might, you know, she's a, an unconventional pick, maybe that's what Europe needs right now. Just take a, a contrarian uh, stance here and, and, and from the other side. Maybe Europe doesn't need a central banker now with, with the banking experience, uh, you know, with the background as an economist. Maybe what, we, what Europe really needs right now is a strong uh, a politician, if you will, because I view uh, Lagarde as yeah, a politician. Yeah. More as a, uh, but, a but I, banker. But I disagree. And I think Mario Draghi's comment lately that, you know, he's worried about the independence of the Fed. And now, you know, this kind of makes me worried about the independence po of the ECB. Politics and central banks is just going, I we see it's going hand in hand and, and, and the road that, that we're going and down. I agreed, only get yeah. closer. And I agreed with Draghi at the time that, you know, central bank independence is important. And I think that we might see the ECB independence hurry because she's such a politician That's for better or for worse. All right, so uh, that concludes the first two. We're going to move to gold. Yep. So gold last week. Is the, I, I want to ask you, is the gold rally over? After hitting a six-year high close to 1440, Friday saw a violent sell-off, went down to as low as 1386. A lot of gold bugs out there. Are, are you know obviously what you want to do right now is take some profit after this nice run higher yeah of but course. maybe just maybe this whole rally that that, that that was based upon fed rate cut expectations is the rally over so i don't think it's over because i do think that even though i may think that 
you know, the rates are not need to don't, don't need to be cut. Right. I do still think that Powell will cut the rates. And I think that, you know, we're going to be talking about this in just a minute. Uh, but I think that if you're looking around, you're still seeing tensions. Right. Gold loves this usually, you know, with Iran now saying this morning that they're going to enrich uranium to above you know, the agreement level. So I still see I still see you know the world is kind of a, in trouble right now and kind of there there are tensions that will I, I continue agree, a fundamental think, bullish run going I, forward. I think gold, you know, the outlook for me, I, I'm I'm still positive on gold. Uh, for most importantly, it's it's still holding above key technical levels. It's up above the 200-day moving average. Like you said, tensions still running high between the U.S. and Iran. You know, all all we need. The U.S. and everyone really. The U.S. and everyone. I mean, <laughs> all, all we need, you know, is is a, a hawkish headline. You know, Trump said this and uh, and that about China. Trump said this and that about Russia. I'm sure That's we'll get one of those this morning. Gold can can pop up, you know, 20, 30 bucks in a very, very short, uh, a, a very short time span. So. That's why I'm still positive on gold, despite, you know, this whole uh, maybe rate cut expectations uh, coming down back a bit. I still think that there are other factors uh, at hand that are driving gold prices higher besides the Fed. And those are still very much present. Right. And I, I completely agree. I do think that, you know, I, I do think that the Fed will drive gold maybe this week and then in the week after. And in the short term, I agree. So, absolutely. So I expect some choppy action and a not necessarily just a rise up. I think that, you know, the, the, the trend of up, of bullish is still up and running. And I think that, you know, this is still where gold is going. And, and I think really the environment of, of lower bond yields around the world in the U.S. and Europe, that will obviously uh, help drive gold's appeal, uh, especially considering uh, the, the, the sharp movements that we've seen uh, both in the U.S. and in Europe. So all in all, I think uh, a lot of factors that have been pushing gold uh, uh, up higher in recent weeks are still there. So in the most part, maybe in the, in the next week, you might want to uh, maybe take your profit. Yeah, be careful in the next week with Powell talking a lot. You know, that, that could be good or very bad. So some volatility in the next week in gold for sure. Perfect. So what's in store for the week ahead then? All right. So for the week ahead, what do we have? So like we said, we have Powell talking three times because he has some opening remarks on Tuesday so, yeah. at an event. And then he testifies on Wednesday and Thursday. So yeah, obviously it's I, gonna be a, a very Fed heavy week. A Fed heavy week, and this without even mentioning the minutes that come out on Wednesday, the minutes from the uh, from the uh, June meeting. The prior meeting. So the Fed is going to be the main attraction on Wall Street, obviously, uh, considering uh, all these uh, uh, talking points that Powell has. And really, I if Powell wants to come out there and you know telegraph what the Fed has in store for the end of the month, this will be his opportunity. This will be opportunity. If, if he wants to maybe signal to markets that a, a rate cut isn't fully priced in, which, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still, allow me to go on a rant here for a second because, you know, markets are talking about a rate cut. And, you know, to, 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 to borrow a phrase from the great Allen Iverson, we talking about a rate cut? We talking about a rate cut right now? With the S&P at 3,000, with unemployment rate under 4%, with the economy still on solid foot, we talking about a rate cut? So... I'm looking for Powell to really come come here, come in here uh, this week and kind of push back against market expectations. This would be his opportunity to show that yeah. he isn't bullied by financial markets. So first of all, I think he is kind of bullied by financial markets. Yes, absolutely. But, Grow some balls, Jerome Powell. But, this is your opportunity. But yeah, but I'm, I'm really... Minutes are my favorite reading, economic, right? I love reading those. They're always full of insights. 
But but yeah, and I've said that last week. You know, if you think that a fifty percent, you know, a fifty basis points cut is coming, oh, yeah. come find me. Like oh, talk yeah. to me. I have no idea who started this stupid rumor. Who was the banker that first said, "Oh, we're uh, expecting." It was Powell a- himself. Powell himself came out and said it's better to be on, on, on you know, to prevent a recession than to cure a, a recession. So once he came out and said that, markets obviously got ahead of themselves, and this is where we are right yeah, now. Yeah, no way. No way. So markets want to hear, markets hear what they want to hear, you know, and, and it's something that we often talk about. How efficient is central bank communication? That's true. And how is it open to interpretation, right? Because last week or like not that long ago, the Fed dropped the word patient, right? We talked about it last week. Yep. Like, is it really enough to say what you're going to do or not? Why are we talking in such abstract terms of we have to guess that the Fed is taking out a certain word that says patient? And all of a sudden, that means a rate cut. And I, I, you know, think, I, I, I hate think that. that's that's been really Powell's Fed's biggest problem because I, I think Bernanke and, and, and to uh, you know to a lesser extent maybe uh, Jalen, uh, Janet Yellen they managed to communicate policy very well in advance. Uh, Powell, from what I've experienced uh, for the most part since he uh, t- took the uh, Fed head position. That's been his biggest uh, uh, area of, of concern. Yeah, really. man, not six Narrowed months ago, we were talking about a rate hike, and now all of a sudden we're talking about a possibly 50%, ba- 50, 50 basis points cut. So, that's insane. That's not supposed to happen. That's, so, so, yeah, obviously, that's Powell, Powell, huge. His, his comments can either yeah, make yeah. or break this That's market. on him, definitely. All right, so uh, moving on, CPI, which is obviously U.S. CPI, one of the major reasons why the Fed is even talking about cutting yeah. rates. Uh, inflation has been stuck for years now under uh, the Fed's target. So we have a reading this week uh, that on, might uh, be important and that even, you know, might force the hand. Maybe we see inflation pick up a little bit. Maybe the rate cut will be entirely off the table since if the economy is doing well and inflation is doing well, there's literally zero, zero reason for a rate cut. I, I agree with you uh, 100% there. I, I think for the most part, what CPI will show on, on Thursday and PPI to, to, to another extent on, on, on Friday, you know, pr- the producer price inflation. We just want to see really what the trend is in terms of, uh, of prices, whether, uh, you know, things are running uh, a bit higher than expected. And in, in, in terms of that, it, it could really have, in addition to what Powell has to say this week, we could really get uh, a 100% conviction of a rate cut at the end of the month or more uncertainty which would drive, you know, uh, from uh, from this week leading up until uh, the July 31 meeting, it would just be three weeks of uncertainty. And if, if, if the data comes in mixed, if Powell doesn't have a clear message. And taking into account the Fed that the fact that there's a, a silence period. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, before the, the, the meeting. The blackout period, that will only only help the, the, the volatility. If we get crazy data readings and, and we don't even have the Fed to, to tell us a bit what they think about it, you know, markets may go wild in either direction. Absolutely. So, so that's why, in terms of, of, of the U.S. data, we get the uh, for, for for me for me obviously GDP is important, but it's too too much of a lagging indicator in my opinion. For me, my favorite indicators are inflation and retail sales. We get we get the inflation number this week, get retail sales uh, the following week. So really, those two reports for me, as far as I'm concerned, will either uh, uh, you know fully cement and, and signal this rate cut at the end of the month, or maybe have this rate cut that markets want so bad pushed back to September. And then we have some China numbers as well. We have some trade numbers. Trade data comes out on Friday and uh, then China. The question is always is, first of all, you know, how reliable are <laughs> yeah. those numbers? 
Uh, we all know uh, the China likes to, uh, how do you call it, uh, cook the books a bit, you know, maybe uh, uh, draw the data in a, in a certain light. Because they may, they may use this data reading as kind of a, look, we're not that affected, everything's going well kind of situation. Yeah, I think and they've been, been uh, known to, to kind exactly. of throw these things out before and, and kind of, you know, send the narrative and the message that they want through the numbers. Exactly, exactly. So with that being said, you know, you got to kind of take the China data with a grain of salt. And I think financial markets, you know, while... It's not a hundred percent completely dismissed. I think financial markets, uh, you know, they 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 kind of know how to read. Take it with a grain of salt. Exactly, exactly. So moving on to our third topic for the for the following week, uh, besides uh, uh, the Fed and the data, we have earnings reports starting to uh, show up on our calendars uh, uh, this week. I love earnings season. I think I think we're all waiting uh, for, for for the start of the second quarter season, which begins in earnest. On the fifteenth, uh, with uh, J.P. Morgan, Citibank, uh, the Be- banks leading the way. Before then, this week we have uh, we have some uh, some some results coming up from uh, soda and snack giant Pepsi, which comes out on Tuesday. Uh, recent IPO Levi Strauss also comes out on Tuesday, and I'm also looking uh, for uh, our earnings from Delta Airlines and Bed Bath and Beyond, amongst others. Uh, really, what are your thoughts for the uh, upcoming uh, earnings season? Well, honestly. You know, I think specifically with Pepsi, right? I've it's been one of my favorite food and drinks manufacturers for quite a while now, and I'm happy to see the nice rally that you know it happened since the beginning of 2019. For me, Pepsi is very diversified uh, from two standpoints. First of all, from their offering, they have a lot of healthy, they have a lot of unhealthy, they have a lot of like yeah. drinks, like coconut bit, water, all a this. A little bit for everyone. Exactly, but that's what makes it great, yeah. right? They're not as vulnerable to say some kind of sugar legislation that would now, you know, kick their ass and they have no lineup of products. So they do have a strong lineup of products. And the second thing I like is that they really have shown growth in a lot of geographical areas. So if we're talking Asia, if we're talking Africa, if we're talking South America, it's been going pretty well over there. So and the, and of course they have very very strong brands as well. When you when you're thinking about all the array of drinks that Pepsi makes, even the Frito Lays, which is maybe one of the pop, most popular like chips in the world. So I, I've always liked Pepsi. Uh, I think it's it's better than Coca Cola at this point. So I'm really looking forward for a strong number to continue the upwards momentum uh, for Pepsi this week. So uh, like like you said, I'm I'm for more like looking beyond Pepsi. I'm interested really to see what what the companies and executives have to say. Uh, for 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 the for the you know outlooks ahead, especially in terms of what they see in Asia, in China, how tariffs are affecting things, how supply chains, if they're broken, how bad is it affecting uh, uh, you know business operations? Uh, what we saw with the S and P, even though it had its best uh, uh, June since 1955, we spoke about it last week. Earnings for the second quarter are still expected to decline 2.6 percent from the same quarter a year earlier. So, you know. What is going on here? Why, the, we, we, this is our third straight uh, quarter of, of declining earning expectations. Uh, the bigger story at, at hand here might be currency headwinds, might be, like I said, the, uh, the supply chains, the effect of tariffs. So I'd be very curious to see if Pepsi, because it's, it has such a, a diversified a global, yeah. global reach, I want to see what they have to say about the state of global Yeah, and, and, I, and I agree with you entirely. I think that we'll see what, whatever impact currency will have and global you know macro events will have i think pepsi will be a very good indicator of this so yeah definitely looking forward to their uh, earnings call and now our stocks of the week so you have chosen visa and i've taken ford you want to go first uh, no go ahead go i got it so my stock of the week is visa 
It is the second best performing Dow stock of the year. I wrote about uh, these uh, this week for my uh, one of my articles uh, for not for the investing.com analysis uh, section. Visa is up 34% this year. It hit a fresh 52-week high of 177.03 on Friday. So the strong uh, momentum is there. We see it pushing up uh, since the start of the year. And really what's been pushing uh, the, the stock is that Visa keeps seeing uh, you know, strong, robust uh, growth in its payment network, especially as more companies and consumers uh, shift to e-commerce, shift to uh, uh, digital buying, and less uh, less using cash. Because that's that's the whole direction yeah, that course. society has has been going. So when you break it down, Visa as a credit card uh, issuer, it has 3.3 million, 3.3 billion users worldwide with operations in more than 200 countries. When you compare that to uh, micro, to uh, Mastercard and American Express, the other two big names in the uh, in the uh, sector, you know the, the the metrics are are more in favor uh, for Visa, especially when it terms uh, uh, the transaction fees. That they managed to get a cut out of a. Uh, uh, but the stock's not cheap, is it? I mean, it's still most mar- most stocks in this market aren't cheap. I, me personally, I stopped looking at at, at, fact, at uh, metrics such as PE ratios and forward-looking indicators because if 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 you would have gone through the, you know those type of metrics, you would have missed out on uh, amazing runs by the Amazons, the Facebooks, the Netflix of the world. Of course, which. I know for all, yeah, it's all, all about that risk reward ratio. It's exactly. not about that risk reward so, ratio. So just to uh, sum it up, I anticipate the positive trend in Visa to continue, and I'm looking for more gains in uh, the weeks ahead with a possible test of the $200 range uh, by the end of the year. All right, interesting. So I will be picking up from here and talking about Ford. So basically, I think that car manufacturers as a whole have been in a problem in the past few years. And they haven't been good investment opportunities. You know, you look at your GMs, you look at your Teslas. It, it hasn't really been, you know, firing on all cylinders. There's been many problems and, you know, and, and they really struggled to return value to the shareholders. Now, Ford this week just uh, signed an agreement with Volkswagen. They're going to cooperate. So that, first of all, makes it interesting. Uh, I'd like to see that, you know, they haven't lost kind of the will to to do things and, and to innovate. improve yeah. exactly it's like innovation there especially when tesla this week reported uh the record yeah yeah record quarter exactly so. so so at least they're they're willing to put up a fight which is good and the second thing i like about ford is that it really tries to focus on the pickups and suvs oh, that's, that's, which, Amer- that's as, as america as it gets exactly but it's going very well for them and that's like they grew this sector and i think they've had the strongest quarter of pickup sales in 15 years that's impressive that's so impressive. Right, so the, the car operation is not going very well, but the pickups are. And I think that if Ford can continue to focus on what it's doing well, just like it has been doing, and I think we saw the stock bouncing up a little bit, I think that you know, from all the car manufacturers, if Ford manages to continue executing the plan like it does right now, I think with its valuation right now, it might be, you know, it might be a, a stock that is worth taking a look at, even though I'm very, very uncertain about car manufacturers. So that's the top for me, even though, again, the industry is problematic. Yeah, I, I agree with you, especially you know, the car the car sector in general. With, with what Tesla is doing, everything is, uh, has been kind of uh, upended. Another, another great episode here wrapped up uh, for, for you uh, folks. I hope you all enjoyed what we had uh, to say here and enjoyed our, our uh, thoughts, our discussions, our views. If you want to send us some feedback, you can follow us on Twitter, either on uh, the Bell Ringers uh, pod 
or Jesse Cohen INV or at Clem Thibault. And of course, the podcast is available on investing.com. So if you want a lot, so if you want to go on investing.com, you can find the article there and you can also leave a comment there. We've been reading comments and replying to them last week. So we'll be happy to take into account the goals. Uh, the goal that we've talked about this week was a popular request last week. What about gold? So we listened and we did a gold segment. So if you have any more ideas or any feedback, we're always happy to incorporate that into the show. All right, everybody. So have a great week. Happy trading to you. And we will see you next Sunday on the Bell Ringers. May the trading gods be with you all.